podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, Mr. James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast. What have we got today, Jane? Well, uh, today we are talking with Carolyn Mays, and we're going to be talking all about holacracy, which is uh, a different way of organizing organizations. Great. That's pretty cool. And, and some of this relates to things like self-management and different organizational structures and all that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty excited because we've covered some of those before, and it'll be great to learn about another one. So let's get into that conversation. <music> Hi, so here we are in the main body of today's podcast, and today we're going to be speaking about holacracy. Um, before we do that, though, we've got a great guest to speak about it. Um, Carolyn, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit more about yourself and your background and the types of things that you work on? Yeah, definitely. I am a freelance writer, advisor, and facilitator, and I learned about holacracy in 2007 when it was barely a thing. And then I pursued it for around five years until I joined the company that controls the IP. So I was a legal partner in an LLC. I was the first woman holacracy master coach and traveled around the world doing consulting, working with amazing people. And then in 2019, I left the company. I started learning more about the nervous system, trauma and belonging and focusing on writing and tools other than holacracy and I should mention that I love my dog daughter who's a Labrador live and I hope to publish a book about her oh that sounds like a great project I've got actually the holacracy book here at the minute and um I think it's great that you bring such a depth of experience to this conversation before we get into it in a little bit more detail though my understanding is that holacracy focuses on things like getting rid of hierarchy and, and changing things like that. Before we get too much into holacracy, could you say a little bit about what hierarchy is in an organizational context and, and maybe reflect a little bit on why hierarchies exist in organizations? Yes, I think this is important. Um, hierarchy can be thought of as the structure of an organization, including the legal or other aspects like how work is organized or how authority is distributed. And there are just a couple of sort of facts. In um, 1600 or so, the first for-profit or commercial corporation was formed, and it was the Dutch East Indian Trading Company. I actually visited um, that when I worked in Amsterdam. The modern autocratic management style and even org charts were heavily informed by a train wreck in the 1800s. So we could call, um, you know, that kind of management train wreck management. And then it's evolved into lean, agile systems thinking. So hierarchy tends to be our default way of organizing work. And often it's organizing a reporting structure more than anything else. I guess a question, if this has come out of all of those types of backgrounds and it's surviving quite well, what are some of the benefits? Why do people end up using these type of structures? But at the same time, what do you see some of the disadvantages of them being? These conversations are some of what we do when I work with groups who are exploring how, you know, how is it advantageous for me? And for most, it's familiar. So it's a familiar way to organize and interface with the world, even having a manager or a career path. 
it's a tried and true way of doing things. Um, you know, let me talk to your boss. Uh, these are familiar. So I would say that's the main reason that we have that as a status quo. And this advantage are that the focus might be on a reporting structure and personal uh, power dynamics instead of merit-based rewards or recognition. And it might be slow or, or static. So it could over-focus on the corporation and not be as inclusive of us as individuals. And do you think when people are working in sort of hierarchical organizations, do you think they're aware that there are other ways to do things? Or do you think this is just so much part of our, our lives and our expectations and the sort of broader cultures we live in that this is just what we expect? Well, I think it really depends on who you talk to. We have examples of non-status quo ways of operating everything from the U.S. Navy. Um, you can look up David Marquette, and there's a mm. great RSA. He wrote a book. Um, and also uh, Gary Hamill has a new book out called Humanocracy, which cool. identifies cases of organizations that are in various industries and people there are uh, doing things differently and there's even facts about employee engagement and the survivability rate of companies to uh, back this up so i i really think it just depends on who we talk to yeah I, i've read um turn the ship around which i thought was great fun um mm-hmm. so this is clearly a, a field that you're uh, interested in and knowledgeable about. What was it that drew you to it? I mean, you've been working in it, you said, since 2007, which is clearly really early on um, in the life of holacracy specifically. Um, what, what led you to that? What, what got you interested in this? For me, it was really a felt sense back then. And it was because of the way I experienced facilitation and the power of decision making. So if you had three brilliant people with all these ideas and possibilities then really getting that into outcomes and roles and having someone have the clarity to make decisions was just amazing. I thought it was evolutionary and uh, amazing for people. So that was really just an idea and I, I learned what it actually was over doing it for over the years. Yeah. And in terms of that impact on people, I mean, we'll get on to a little bit more about what holacracy is. How does, how does it feel for some of these people? You, you talk about some benefits for them. What do you see those feelings being for, for working in these different, different ways? Yeah, I think the benefits of holacracy specifically are really heavily uh, for the organization. That uh, being said, I think individuals can gain a lot. Um, I think it can... I'm more of an entrepreneur and it's really suited me well. Um, mm-hmm. So you can become accustomed to, you know, habitually taking action and cl- uh, operating with clarity and um, taking multiple perspectives and taking work less personally uh, by, which are, are some things that I know I have in common with people who've worked in holacracy organizations. Yeah. So, so I guess let's jump a little bit more um, into holacracy itself. So how would you describe what a holacracy is? W- what is it? And how is it different from the standard hierarchy? You know, practically, what does it look like? Um, how does it work? Well, I think if we're brand new to it, I would just say it's a modern way of organizing. 
and it can be adopted on a spectrum of hierarchical to other structures actually that if if you're more interested in the details then it's a specific management tool for distributing authority that was heavily informed by agile software development and sociocracy which is a way of including people and making group decisions and sharing power so it's really known for an emphasis on process including a role-based structure and governance meetings. And some of our listeners will have heard terms like uh, self-managed teams or teal organizations, but they might not have heard of Holacracy before. Uh, is there a relationship between the two? Is it the same? Is it different? And if so, how? Yes, if you look where teal came from, then Frederick Lelou uh, wrote a book about research, including Holacracy as a case. And he really talks about teal as having um, some different aspects, including purpose, evolutionary purpose, wholeness of individuals, and self-management. And so if we look at those three things in terms of teal, holacracy is very useful for self-managed teams or self-management with the process and uh, role focus and facilitated uh, processes, but it doesn't really have a lot of solutions for how we show up as individuals and who we are as humans together um, and our relationships or even deeply going into the purpose of the organization. So it's really a, a self-management tool, in my opinion. Okay, that's really, really helpful. And I guess just talking from a a position of not knowing too much about it. Um, what what do you see, like, when organizations begin to adopt uh, holacracy and that approach, what benefits do you see in organizations that do that? Now, a, a lot of organizations around the world have adopted holacracy, some of them using internet research or and some of them getting training or consulting. And, you know, they're on a journey to try to, change their workplace. So um, I think the main benefit uh, is really that we come together and connect with each other. But if, you, if you've actually started trying to do holacracy, assuming you've got some appetite for change and you get some traction with working in this role-based structure, then I think the benefits are to the organization and can help everyone have skills to work on the organization. So we learn about how to make work objective and how to relate to it differently and how to uh, make decisions uh, with more ambiguity. Um, there are some more transformative benefits that I've experienced like designing my own career or groups innovating with new products or uh, um, dividing up work differently than might have happened pre-holacracy. So it's really interesting you mentioned that because that was the, like the first thing that jumped in my head um, when you started talking about it was this idea that maybe it would give people space to rethink, reshape their jobs. James and I talked loads about like how important autonomy is for people in their careers and how even if they're happy in their organization, they still need the freedom to shape their roles. So is that something that people don't necessarily think about when they go into holacracy, uh, when the organizations go into it, but then find it's a benefit? Or do you think people actually try and adopt these 
these approaches to give people more of that? Is it kind of an accidental benefit or do you think people deliberately go after that? Uh, go back to the it depends answer, which is not a cop out, but I have interacted with many teams who have their, you know, they all have their own unique culture. So if the culture and the sentiment is that, you know, we want people to develop themselves and be able to change their role, then they're going to use Holacracy for that. There are a good number of Dutch companies, German companies, really all around the world, but I've worked with a lot in Europe, Dubai, and the U.S. And um, so it really depends on the, the culture as far as if that's part of the motivation um, for adopting it because it it can take a while to actually get that benefit. Yeah, it feels like, um, I, I guess, I like, well, I love the answer, it depends, um, because <laughs> I think that feels much more real. But I also, I totally understand how organizations might go into this in a sort of way that they used to go into sort of change projects, which is like, hey, we're going to tick this off and get it done and it's all going to be great and then we can package it up. Whereas what you're describing sounds much more like a, I hate using the word journey, but it, it feels much more like a journey that an organization would go on and it will take time to make what are quite, in some senses, quite radical changes to the way they think about the world, particularly if they're a traditionally hierarchical organization. So I guess thinking about that, it sounds really attractive. Um, I can certainly think of organizations I've worked with who would really benefit from it. What, though, could some of the risks be for organizations if they sort of try and take this approach? Yeah, I think... The risk, it relates to this deeper potential benefit for people, which is that it actually turns off good people. Even years ago when um, Zappos, a U.S. retailer, who's since evolved their practice as every organization does, they were earlier on in Holacracy and, you know, they were saying their brand issues uh, you know, what about recruiting? What are you guys doing about this? And it's so true. Um, so it really turn, can turn off good people, candidates or otherwise. Um, and it's also complicated and it can create a big distraction. So it can really actually reduce the connection and the people and, and cause people to leave, um, you know, because there is a learning curve and it, it is potentially radical. When we had a conversation a while ago with somebody else, we were speaking specifically about self-managed teams, and we spoke um, a little bit about Valve, who were heavily self-managed, and, and we were just trying to have a conversation to explore whether um, whether you can sort of tell if this is the right type of thing for you, and if it, if it really does put people off. Do you get a sense that if you're running a holacracy, you, you kind of need to recruit people for a holacracy, and that it's really not for everybody? What, what do you think? Absolutely recruit for your environment. I used to recruit, we called it uh, courting. We would source yeah. and then court candidates to join and um, also advise teams on this. And so, um, you know, some people, none of us know what this environment is really going to be like, but if that's mm -hmm. out on the table and it's in your recruiting and your you're upfront about how you operate, however that is, then that's definitely going to help. Um, and then you can always try also phased approaches or smaller experiments oh, yeah. to try it. But 
um, if it's something that's established, then absolutely include that and find out what candidates are thinking and what they want to opt into. And so I guess if you if you get the right people there and, and you're sort of working as a holacracy, it feels like people's roles um, and the role-based structure of things that's in place, as well as the sort of authority or individual control and autonomy that people have is, is different from um, more traditional hierarchical organizations. If you're if you're sort of working in that pace, how do you how do you make sure that people are clear on what their roles are, on what their levels of authority are, and on how they should uh, or or are expected to operate in that way of working are? Right. Um, well, say the three of us had a team and we wanted to adopt holacracy. Cool. We would work on a simple role structure. So our roles would not immediately hopefully change Mm -hmm. because we're working on, you know, putting some holacracy basics in place. Then we need to onboard or get trained to some extent in the basic moves like roles, tactical governance, tensions, having a bias to action. And so there's basically the training that's required for our job, whether that be positions or roles. Mm-hmm. And then there's this way of working, which we don't exactly get training for hierarchy if we get hired into a non-holacracy environment. So the fact that there's any onboarding or training about how things are intended to work is a big plus in my yeah. experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Quite often people don't have any worthwhile speaking about onboarding process i think that's that's often the case um some of the things that you're speaking about there feel to me related to sort of defined ways of working uh, organizational sort of ways of working contracts sort of crossover with organizational cultures and things like that in in your sense do you feel that um the holacracy approach is more suited to certain sectors or industries or organizations or or do you based on your experience see that it's worked equally well in a range of organizations what's your sense of what makes it successful in in specific organizations yes that's a constant question that is hard and fun to answer so there are socially focused ngo um, organizations there's one i believe uganda Um, There are production team uh, environments, food service, and all sorts of kinds of organizations that not only adopt a holacracy, but some form of self-management. So thinking more broadly than holacracy, like the Morningstar Company or like Nucor, um, all the various organizations featured in Humanocracy, um, as well as other books. So there are more and more examples. So I really think it comes down to a cultural fit and a cultural journey as far as what approach to changing the workplace is is good. And holacracy could be really well suited to tech environments. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, there are a lot of examples. And I think it's because of this. I think it speaks to the culture and potential experimentation or resilience of the culture and maybe it having a value of learning. Yeah. And do you think that the leaders of an organization that are looking potentially to become um, 
holacracy need to be a certain type of leader? Do you, do you need, or well, how about this? I assume you need a fair amount of sponsorship from leadership to make this stuff kind of work. Do you have a sense of the types of leaders and the types of people who would potentially look to go down this direction with their teams? Yeah, I, you definitely need a sponsorship or will only get so far with any change effort. Uh, the thing I like about humanocracy to bring the holacracy conversation back to that is that one of the ideas in this book is that any professional in any situation in the organization could bring about a change. So um, to to make a transformation and make people be able to change their job and say, I don't think that decision makes sense or different things, then yes, you need a leader and managers, any leadership who, who is vulnerable and who's, who's, who's willing to be in discomfort, uh, potentially have a growth mindset. Um, so there's going to be some level of discomfort when we're undergoing a change, uh, especially depending on how radical we think we want it to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you've set up a holacracy and maybe the leadership team moves on or, or the executive or, or figurehead of the organization leaves, is it difficult to sustain the holacracy if you get somebody new in that position? So if so, we could look at a couple of scenarios. We were adopting holacracy, helping a team at Google adopt holacracy. We were about three months and this was a 50 some plus less than 100 person global organization and they had a reorg a reorganization that meant the you know director of this organization was changing and new and so less than three months into their holacracy adoption there were no great metrics about why this was valuable um, for their organization some people were interested um but so that pretty much, you know, started the end of, of that um, adoption because it wasn't established. There weren't any obvious benefits. On the other hand, I think holacracy could be great for succession planning for leadership. And I have seen it uh, attempted to be used that way. And even at Holacracy One, the company where I uh, formerly uh, I worked, at Holacracy One, where I worked at before, one of the founders had, you know, left and he, all of his roles were defined. Um, and, you know, even before he left, he had exited some key roles in the company and the company continues to exist today. One of the founders is still there. But by making these roles explicit, then you're able to actually scale and build capacity. It's not perfect. It's not going to be the same. But then when someone leaves, if you're already accustomed to using those tools or those moves, it's, it's just going to be obvious. And, and what about, you know, if you're the person that's leaving this holacracy way of working organization and, and if you've been used to it, do you have a sense of what it would be like going into a, a more traditional organization in terms of how it would fit and, and how you'd feel making that transition back? Yes, one of the risks I think, and I can personally speak to this because I've tried, I've interviewed for jobs and uh, d- done a couple contracts. One of them was in a holacracy organization, and I've volunteered in uh, regular organizations, and I personally feel completely ruined 
um, from working in a traditional environment or corporate environment. Everything from people talking over each other to having assumptions that are unspoken to not having the shared language of roles or understanding of, you know, scenarios of how things will play out if we have a disagreement about what my job is yeah Uh, there's so many the list is endless of what feels so much harder and more awkward coming from a holacracy environment into a traditional environment that's really interesting i think jane (laughs) you had a question yeah so in a minute i'm going to ask you a little bit more about the actual practicalities of creating a holacracy but i've got one question before that that i think um i'm really interested in and it might be nothing, but you, you said something just before James asked his last questions about um, how radical people think they want to be. And I just wondered, it made me think, do people sometimes, do organisations sometimes going into this going, yeah, we want to be really radical, we're going to go full in and actually sort of get into the process and realise that maybe they're not as suited to a sort of full on, very quick move to holacracy as they think? Yes, all the time. I think with any of us, we have our idea or like personally, I had this projection, this imagination over what I thought, you know, holacracy was. And so sometimes that can turn out to be in line with reality and sometimes not. I've seen, uh, you know, leaders say they want to adopt holacracy and we set it up. We spend a lot of time and roles and onboarding plans and scheduling and then um you know they have there was a situation where i have a there was a director who was just actively not participating and you know the ceo would not do anything about it he said he just had to tolerate it um and he would just talk over some meetings and like shame people and this was kind of a, a bad worst case situation and um, also the role structure they created was pretty much exactly like how they'd operated before. Um, and I had seen this coming. It was a traditional type of organization and a traditional insurance industry. Um, although there are some really modern, different disruptive insurance companies too. So in their case, they didn't really want to change. There wasn't enough, um, I don't know, there, there was, there wasn't enough interest or appetite, so they they ended up stopping. And um, there's a lot of different ways we will find our limits. So as a leader who says, you know, I want to adopt this radical way of organizing, but then no, just leave those people alone. They need to they needed to do things how they've always been done. Or when it comes to Carolyn, you know, she's fine. Just let her get away with that. Th- those are not compatible with this uh, system. So then you know you have to figure out how to reconcile that i can imagine exactly that scenario with a number of organizations i'm thinking of so um that's really helpful um i'm going to ask you a little bit now just about how organizations go about creating holacracy but but i guess what you've said begs an obvious question which is what needs to be in place uh for people before an organization starts to think about how to create a holacracy what are the prerequisites that you need in your organization? You kind of implied a couple of them there, but I think it would be helpful just to sort of spell some of those out. Well, and just on the note of what I was mentioning before about um, kind of blind spots or limits to adopting a 
more radical or self-managed way, those are everywhere. So every organization and team I've worked in has some version of that. We have a blind spot. We have a personal power dynamic. Uh, we have something that is not able to be talked about. And so, I, you know, whether holacracy or some other approach is, is useful, I think it, it we just have to stay in conversation about if it's serving us or not collectively. Um, and then, so I just wanted to add that because it, it's, it's, you know, we're humans and, and we all have that, that journey to go on. So um, prerequisites for adopting holacracy. I, I think that people need to get together and be learning and talking about it. So I, I honestly think after working in the field for many years, we don't really know. We used to say it takes a leader who is committed. Um, then I thought it really the a successful adoption would take the ability to process tensions. So my current uh, advice would be having a growth mindset and some appetite for ambiguity. So if your culture includes interest in learning and experimentation, that'd be a good foundation. And then basically a team of any size could internally champion and plan whatever learning and set up for the holacracy practice. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And I think um, I think that uh, phrase, appetite for ambiguity, is really important. Um, certainly, I can see how if you didn't have that in an organisation or a team, then very quickly you become derailed. Um, so let's let's imagine for a minute that we've got some lovely listeners who are thinking, actually, you know what, we have quite a um, well developed. A grown-up team and there's some really interesting things that we could learn from that we think we might be appropriate how would you suggest uh that a senior manager listening to this from a small organization started to think about exploring holacracy where would they learn information what would they be talking about you mentioned they should be talking about it a lot what sort of things should they be talking about do you think well there is a new book called getting started with holacracy by a dutch colleague of mine um so you could check out that book and potentially have uh colleagues or let the team or the company know that you're interested in it because i think having the conversation about potential change is really helpful so even if you're the leader and you can just decide that you're going to do it then sit you know sit everyone down and and sociocracy is a form of sharing power that has wonderful resources that are relevant so uh there's something called a round so each person could you know say what they think in a round about adopting some new way of doing uh, so i really think having that as basic as it is uh we need to be doing rounds and uh the, there's a video of David Marquette speaking. So if you are a manager and this does sound interesting and it's really new, then you could still you could find that video and watch it and share it with the team. Um, for one, as a shorter resource than a book. Um, and then there are some other things like setting up roles and scheduling meetings, getting people to um, volunteer to try facilitation that are needed to really start. Um, but a small group can plan those things. And I think it's worthwhile to plan the adoption. 
A few times when you've been uh, speaking, you've used phrases that clearly have really specific uh, meaning within the world of um, holacracy. So you've talked about moves, you've talked about rounds, you've talked um, about, about things like that. What other things like that are they? And what do some of those things mean? So, so what is a move? What is a round? What are these things in a bit more detail? Yeah, I feel like I'm using jargon and this is one of the hard things <laughs> about doing things it, say working in a non-status quo way sure, um, yeah. and it's one of the turnoffs yeah. of holacracy and quite frankly it can become very cultish um, okay. so and that's well publicized on the internet yeah. even if everything's not true there's there's some truth there um, so tensions is something in holacracy and you learn about different pathways and moves is really something that I was just naming for well, instead of going to your boss, you might just go take action on an issue and then let everyone know what you did. <laughs> or, mm. uh, for example, you know you're going to have a governance meeting and so you'll be able to raise an issue about how something happened and that way can maybe come to clarity so that issue does not happen that exact way again. And so yeah. those are a couple examples of holacracy moves um, that you would know about if you were to be onboarded and you might have asked me about another oh round uh, rounds so, yeah so, rounds yeah yeah so sociocracy i've been learning and practicing it to the extent i can and i really wish i had done it much earlier so if you're interested in adopting holacracy it could be a good idea to take some sociocracy workshops there are a lot of resources out there and it's based in consent and has mm -hmm. principles and are designed to really include groups and is amazingly relevant. So there's something called a okay. round. And so a group of people can speak one at a time on something. And there are also different types of rounds, like a check-in or a consent round or a question round or a reaction round. And if you ever are not, are not sure what to do and something is happening with a group of people, you can just say stop why don't we do a round of what's coming up for everyone right now? Okay. Um, we only have 15 minutes left. I don't know what's going on. Is that okay with everyone? Um, yeah. <laughs> do a round and then we'll figure out what's next. And that is from sociocracy. And this could be amazingly okay. useful for holacracy as well. Is that kind of, is that stuff similar to sort of some of the ideas behind liberating structures and stuff? Do you, have you come across them? I have the Liberating Structures book and I have practiced it a little bit and there are a lot of compatible kind of bodies of work and thought structures out there. So it could be a great, the Liberating Structures work could be a great resource for people who are interested in self-managed teams. Right. Okay. And it sounds like a lot of what we're speaking about here with Holacracy is, is really about getting that, that sort of shared understanding and shared mindset within a team or a broader group of how we work together, what some of our rules are, what some of the expectations are in each of the circumstances that we face into. Do, do you think that's right? Do you think that shared understanding is, is important within this? I really think that is true. And that's what it has created for me, shared clarity and common understandings about possibilities for even how we work together can be a amazing so ironically um, we really need to talk to each other and make sure we create spaces for 
of processing this experience and participating in it fully so that there's not a sort of have and have not group created of people who understand blockercy and are implementing it, adopting it, and then everybody else, because that can become a new power dynamic. So I think talking together, and that's why the tools of sociocracy are so valuable, can provide a really good foundation for whatever the outcome is of adopting some different way of working. It seems like if you get it right, you might, instead of having us and them thinking, you'd have a sort of us and us, and you've got that real shared page, it seems um, like it's it's really helpful. Uh, how, you know, we've talked about sort of bringing it into a team. How long does it take to get that real shared, common understanding of how we work in all the variety of circumstances that holacracy seems to, to face into? Well, I think within a few months... Um, you can have some insight and some experience of that if you had some good setup and training or onboarding. So that's actually not the most common. Um, David Allen, who wrote a book called Getting Things Done and yeah. some other books, uh, the David Allen Company had adopted Holacracy and he would always do talks saying how it was a five-year journey and um, wow. he, you know, he didn't want to be a business person. He wanted to share his work. And so he was going to close the company and instead he found holacracy and he thought it was the worst way in the world to organize, but it was better than what he had found before. Um, right. and, and then five years in, he said, Oh, maybe it's a 10 year journey. Um, ah, so nice. I think that can be really daunting and that, and, um, so I think it comes down to the team. If you have a strong, desire, you know, if you have strong relationships and self-awareness on your team or your environment, then you might experience some some of those benefits much sooner than five or 10 years. One of the things that struck me is when I've been working with teams and, and looking at things like ways of working, they're, they're um, Oh, what am I trying to say? I guess I, I've got the sense that not all teams have the awareness that they even have ways of working. They're, they're sort of so involved in the detail of a moment that they don't make time or space to step back and look at the bigger picture and to spend time working on how they work together and thinking about how they work together and, and even being aware that those things are constructed within a team. Is your sense of when you go out and speak to clients that people have a sort of mindful awareness of the rules that they've adopted within their teams? Or do you think that people just take this stuff for granted and don't have a sense of agency over some of these things? Yeah, I think sometimes uh, software teams might be, on average, if I had to make a bad uh, generalization about people, which I don't like doing, then there might be some more awareness of roles. Um, or that you could uh, structure work. But it's true. Even as business people, we don't work on our organizations. We just sit down and go to work. Maybe we make a list or whatever. But So I think that is spot on, and that's why one of the massive gains of something like holacracy or role-based structure is distributing authority, distributing the stress, <laughs> increasing everyone's ability to actually reflect on the work. And so... That's why talking before we even engage in that process 
is important because what are our assumptions about each other? And um, can I tell you a quick story about my dog, actually? I think it might be relevant. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So I've had my dog live for a couple years. And before that, she belonged to a dear friend of mine and was known for counter surfing and raising up. Um, she's now six years old. She used to be a show dog in her early days. And she, you know, like three years ago, she was known for taking the turkey off the counter at Thanksgiving, um, and stuff like that. And so, you know, fate brought us together and I ended up adopting the dog from my friend and then her, my friend and her daughter and myself were also struck by Liv and wondering, does she have Lyme disease? Why is she so calm? Oh, right, yeah. Why doesn't she raise up anymore? Um, why is she not counter surfing? So we got her tested for Lyme um, and different things. And she's fine. And so yeah. what happened is I changed her environment. And now we certainly are not perfect and have our moments. But she exercises. Not. You know, she used to spend time in the yard, in the crate, because everybody uh-huh. was busy. So we go in the woods, she smells, she makes choices. Um, I hand feed her food sometimes, like sometimes every day Um, and constantly turning things into this big live experience. And so she's basically a different dog. And and I think it's a great testament to how if we change our environment, then, you know, we might be different. So as an employee, maybe, you know, or as a professional, we're not constructing our work environment. We're not aware of it. But maybe, yeah, we haven't been given the opportunity to. Maybe there isn't that space available. So if that space were created, then I would love to see what people do, just like Liv, you know, has turned into a different dog because of her environmental change. Um, one of the, one of our sort of heroes on the show is a guy called Kurt Lewin, who you might have heard of. He's a psychologist from like the 40s. Um, and one of the things he had was a little behavior equation. And he said that an individual's behavior is a product of a person and their whole lived history and the environment that they're in. And that's just his really little simple equation mm-hmm. for what drives behavior is person and environment. And it sounds like there's something in there. Anyway, Jane, I cut in on you. Do you want to jump in? No, it's just, well, you see, now I'm slightly nervous about saying what I was going to say because you said something quite, you know, sensible and practical, but also relevant. What I was going to say was, if you've ever seen the film Field of Dreams, build it and they will come. Um, that No, but that's exactly as you were describing it about your dog. I was like, if you, I think with organisations, sometimes we we become very scientific or we attempt to become very scientific about what's going to work, what's the next small move we're going to make. And I think sometimes when you're talking about environment and culture and the experience, sometimes you just have to have a little, this is going to sound slightly uh, airy, uh, slightly airy, if you will. But sometimes you have to have the confidence to build the end structure of how things are going to be and work through it with people such that you can get to the end point where it works. And I think I think environment is so important and so strong for whether it's for dogs, whether it's for humans, whether it's for organizations, I think the environment that you live in and that you work in changes everything about the way you experience it. And therefore things that you might never have been open to or never have thought would work can work really, really well. Um, I uh, I actually just had one last question that I was gonna sneak in on the end. I know James is about to probably tell me off we're going over time, but I'm just really interested. You've obviously got huge amounts of experience of working with lots of different types of organizations. And I guess just from your own personal experiences, 
what one or two pieces of advice would you give people who are going on this journey and maybe hitting some of the bumpy bumpy bits that you have described earlier? I would say learn how to care for yourself and each other. Really radical self-care and uh, commitment to each other's care. And just take things step by step. So maybe there's you know, a plan or some principles or next step or some aspect like we're going to do this one workshop. We're going to try this one thing. That is fine. So I would, you know, keep it slow, breathe, step at a time, just like walking, live. Cool. I, I think those are some great bits of advice. I think, you know, taking things slowly and step by step is, is always a good way to do it. And sometimes just doing a little bit and trying something's a great start and you can see if it's good for you. Um, and I love the message about radical self-care and, and the humanity of work. I think so often we sort of forget that we are all humans and we need to connect with each other as sort of emotional, dynamic beings that are, are variable in the workplace. And if if Holacracy helps us do that, that feels like it's a really good thing. Um, I'm afraid we're, we're basically running out of time. Um, before we wrap up fully, though, Carlin, is there anything that you could share about how people could learn more about you and some of the things that you do and, and maybe even get in touch? Yes, I really just have my website, it's carolynmays.com, K-A-R-I-L-E-N-M-A-Y-S. So yeah, visit my website. Great. Okay. And we'll share some details um, of things like that when we uh, release the podcast as well. So people should be able to get in touch that way. Um, so then, until then, uh, it's just time to say thank you very much. That was really enjoyable. So thank you from me. And thank you from me. Thank you both so much. This was a lot of fun. Okay, so you are back in the conversation with Jane and myself. That was our conversation with Carolyn Mays, where we spoke all about uh, Holacracy. Um, Jane, do you have any sort of reflections or takeaways based on that conversation? I guess for me, um, the thing that's really stuck with me, and I think I even mentioned it in the, in the conversation, was around this idea of distrib- distributed authority. And I think, I think it feels like, I know, I know um, Carolyn mentioned the word cultish, and people can be quite fearful of full yeah. organizational models sometimes. But I think even if you wanted to start somewhere, we know, right, we've talked about so much how important autonomy is for individuals and how people want to be able to shape their own roles and have, uh, and we've also talked more about teams and how they can be more asynchronous and work more separately. And so for me, I think one of the really great places to start is to think about that delegation of responsibility, decision-making, authority, and figuring out how to distribute it more evenly within organizations. And I think that also has a massive impact on senior leadership. I think, you know, increasingly CEOs and senior leaders are more and more carrying the singular burden of decision-making in hierarchical organizations. And I think it's actually good for everyone if you can spread that out. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. Um, One of the things that for me is a takeaway from this conversation and, and from some others is sort of the power of being mindful and sort of conscious of the fact that we do have ways of working as teams. You know, whenever we come together, we've got ways of working, whether they're explicit or not, they exist and we understand them to some extent. We get used to, to you know, working within that environment and, and being aware that that's the case. And then from there, moving on to sort of shape and influence and create common understanding of those ways of working is just, I, I really think, hugely powerful. And I think, you know, processes like uh, Holacracy or ways of working like Holacracy and others help teams create that shared understanding. And I just think there's so much power in that. Um, but I can't help but think that these things are, are helpful and useful for organizations. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I think, um, 
I think we've talked so much about leading and managing intentionally. And I think that's very similar. Absolutely. All right. Well, let us wrap up the conversation there and say goodbye until next time. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.